I really wanted to speak to you about. Obviously, we speak a lot or we converse a lot on LinkedIn and, and, and uh, share very similar uh, approaches and thoughts towards the digital transformation terminology and, and smart cities. And what's really interesting to me and what I really wanted to make this podcast about is to sort of break down what that is uh, in layman's terms and just have a proper conversation about what we see smart cities and digital transformation as. So we talked a little bit back before about the terminology that's used by a lot of people with digital transformation and councils, etc. What's been your experience when you've dealt with local authorities and, and their their approach to, to shifting to digital? Yeah, I think it's been fairly mixed, to be honest. In the most cases, in, in a relatively poor way, uh, they're trying to undertake digital transformation projects that are led by the IT department and being done because they kind of see everyone else doing them. And there's not really a, a proper plan in place as to what they're trying to achieve. So I'm quite critical of, from a starting point, I'm quite critical of lots of local government strategies uh, around the digital. And they're, they're coming at it from, a, from an IT perspective. We've seen what we should do. We've written a strategy. It's going to talk about some online forms, changing the website. We'll do some digital inclusion and we'll do some other bits. And actually what they're forgetting is that IT is a service to the rest of the council. And what they should be doing is going into social care or housing or any of the other departments and saying, right, what do you guys need to achieve this year or over the next five years? How can we help you? What digital can we implement? So they're coming at it from a almost an IT for IT's sake and not looking at it from the IT as a service side of it. So you're getting these strategies that are full of generic terms that have got no actual outcomes or anything in them. So when you get to the end of a project or you've built something, trying to measure the, the success of it is almost impossible. So they've really got to go back to basics. And a lot of it is because uh, for me, and what I kind of specialize in is, is bringing the two together, bringing IT and the, the business together, the council together, and actually having proper conversations about what does the council want to achieve? What are the outcomes? And what is actually what is digital? And how can you use it to deliver your services? Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, we've often when we've when we've spoke to local authorities during doing the campaign and 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 some of the roadshow events, we've often heard the same kind of things time and time again. No matter whether we've been in Scotland. England, Wales, or, or North or South of England, wherever it may be, we've always heard this thing about silos and the fact that we're in working in silos, as you just touched upon, housing, uh, social care, waste, whatever it is. Then breaking down the silos sounds easier than we think. Well, it certainly sounds easier to, to people on the outside like ourselves. But when you come to doing this, and, and as you've already demonstrated and, and been involved in, how hard is it to get this cross-communication between these different departments? Uh, sometimes it's nearly impossible. And it's, I mean, historically, it's, it's just how they're budgeted and the, how the budgets are split across a council. 
So I'll give you a, a, an example from one I've used. When I implemented Box uh, at Peterborough years ago, and I remember sitting with my finance person at the time and her saying to me, where's the corresponding savings line? And I'm going, but there isn't one. It's a new piece of technology. And what uh, I've been asked for is something so that the social workers can have access to the files while they're visiting a, a, a resident or a customer or yeah. the housing team want to go out. So I'm introducing a technology to enable something to happen in another department and yet they're looking at my budget and going your budget's increased that's off that's not right i'm going of course it is because you're not thinking across everything so i'm trying to make uh social care more efficient not it and i used to stand on stage when i did uh, quite a lot of conferences back then and say would you rather spend uh, sorry would you rather save 10 percent of your social care budget or 10 percent of your it budget yeah. actually your IT costs might increase by 10%, but if that's bringing the rest of your costs down, then it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. And that's where a lot of the disconnect is, is, is how do you actually write the business case to define uh, implementing new technologies where the savings and everything else aren't IT savings, they're somewhere else in the, in the council. And if you can kind of start from a breaking down some of that budgetary uh, legacy, methodology that they use in the council you can start to break down some of those teams and you can start getting people to talk together but yeah it is is gen generally seen as a cost center and a lot of it is how do you take 10 percent off the it budget or 20 percent off the it budget there's almost the yeah. argument say double the it budget but save everything yeah. else uh, but it's not yeah. it's just not viewed in that way and why do you think i mean there's obvious reasons for why it is, as you says, it's historically and fundamentally built like that as a, as, as local authorities, local government and, and even civil service, uh, or central government is, it's built in a way which is difficult to transform. But why do you think that they have that perception of it being about that? And where, where are they being informed or educated, if anywhere, about how it needs to be different uh, that's one thing that worries me is how we still are in 2020 now and we're still hearing the same rhetoric and the same digital transformation and banging the drum over basic things like being able to you know pay your council tax online as being something revolutionary so why do you think it is that they're not kind of understanding of of this is there something that needs to come from central government down or or is it just depending on individual leaders and and sort of thought leadership within the individual councils yeah i think it's uh, it's a bit of a mix but i'd say in 90 percent of cases it's because they don't want to understand so you there's many many councils i go to i speak to many i've been to previously where the ceo or senior managers have actually either signed off a digital strategy or a digital program of work or anything like that haven't actually got a clue what's in it or what the outcomes are they don't understand any of the terminology within the strategy they just know that they need one and off they go and then it's just well that's it's job they can do it when it then comes to implement a project the staff don't want to know they're not interested in it no one likes technology change or anything like that 
and it's seen as an IT-led project. It's, it's almost again back to that IT for IT's sake. Yeah. And the, the the reason I set my company up and then to try and change that is actually I attack it from the CEO perspective. So I take CEOs on a journey through understanding what's wrong with their business, where they can change, what's out there to help them, how to approve a strategy uh, and understand what's in it, how to challenge that strategy, how to work to outcomes, and then all the way through to designing a plan and delivering on that. And it's almost that IT is not my job, so I won't get interested in it. I'll just ignore it. My job's more important. I do this job or that job. I'll just focus on that. And historically, they've kind of always been limited with IT. I did a, a project, oh, must be must be five, six years ago, and it was bringing the adult social care department back from the NHS back into the council. Yeah. I heard about this project by accident because someone let it slip in a meeting that this was happening, at which point I kind of went, well, hang on a minute, is there not a bit of a implication here for IT? Bringing another <laughs> 400 staff back into the council. And then, yeah. oh yeah, we didn't want to tell you yet because we knew you'd be difficult. And, and it's that kind of impression that people still have of the IT department. I, I yeah. used to do slides with a, a couple of images from the IT crowd. Two guys in the basement. <laughs> I was just going to say yeah. the IT crowd. Exactly. And that's what the thing is like. Yeah, two guys in the basement with a tape recording saying he turned it off and on again. Uh, and unfortunately, that's still a lot of people's views. And I, I, I'm in contact with a couple of people from, from the past who are doing projects and they update me on where they are. And it's even getting people to log on to the internet in some places is still a task that needs explaining to people. And I'm quite clear that if it, if it doesn't come from the top and people aren't really standing up and saying, this is what we're doing, these are the changes we're making, and me as the CEO or me as the senior director is going to lead this and I'm going to adopt these tools first, then you're on to a loser with a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's probably what we've seen when we've been, we've been out and about. There's a handful. There's, there's literally a handful of the local authorities we could say that that exists in uh, and that, that approach has been taken. Um, I won't name them, actually, or, or say some of them because... Um, I don't want to give others discredit some of the other local authorities who are trying to advance under difficult circumstances, but there is a number of them that, that do have that, and there's a number of them that you can actually point back to the fact that they've had a top-down uh, leadership and openness to embrace different aspects of technology. It's clear that that's the case, and also it's clear that the individuals that are being tasked from the top to, to get on with it are innovative and enthusiastic, uh, but also realistic. They're not they're not caught up in this uh, this this cloud or this bubble of what what it can look like. That they approach it individually based on their individual uh, pressure points. You know, if, if if a city, for instance, or a local authority is struggling with its adult social care, which many of them are, and many of them will continue to do so. Um, then that's where their, their first point of call must be with, with any kind of transformational uh, project. Yeah, um, got on but, that. That's that's key. So, what then? I will hmm. say there is a lot of good stuff going on uh, in local authorities. Yeah. There's also a lot of bad. But yeah, understanding what your pressures are in your council and where you need to be, 
means that your strategy can't be a generic strategy. It has to be a very focused one. Peterborough had huge, huge social care problems. It was our biggest issue by far. Uh, We had such a low kind of life expectancy. It had one of the highest differences between different areas in the country. Uh, It was bringing in, we were, I think at the time, we were something like the third or fourth fastest growing city, but we were growing through manual labor jobs, not through kind of high-end, high-tech jobs or anything like that. So they're things we tried to address. And actually in my in my talks that I used to do, I, I generally used to end them with, this is what works for me in Peterborough. But actually yeah. it might not work for you because you might have different pressures or com- a completely different uh, demographic of people who live there. You take somewhere like Eastbourne yeah. where it's, it's a predominantly elderly population. It's a Let's call it a glorified retirement village. But what you can do from a technology perspective is therefore very, very different to what I could do. So it's about kind of looking at what other people are doing, but then bringing it back to your city, your place and saying, right, what are our biggest pressures? Where are our funding problems? What do we need to do and what do we need to deliver? And let's not just put, as you said earlier, sticks and forms on the website so you can pay your council tax. That's great. I I contact my council once a year, if that. That's normally when I move house. And there's a lot of people like me, so don't spend money on me. It's pointless spending money on giving me a good service because it doesn't matter. Your money is being spent elsewhere, and that's what you need to target. Yeah, but saying that, you always get this kind of approach, and I'm relating this more to, to the terminology around smart cities, is that... You get over the years, many have tried it, whether it's been the Innovate UKs, whether it's been central government led about this um, blueprint, what they refer to again, another another kind of buzzword, a blueprint for what a smart city should look like and how it can be utilised. Now, I was under that myth of thinking there could be a blueprint for a city until we actually started to go around the country and visit up to Perth and Scotland and, and meet different uh, authorities from all over the country and as you rightly say that doesn't work because depending where you are south or north there's already a divide there in terms of affluent and also issues around manufacturing skill base etc so you can't really do that but you can as you said demonstrate projects which can be successful and cost effective and see whether or not that can be implemented in your area or what you can take from that project to utilise in your area. But do you think that there's a lack of actual examples to do that? Because I kind of thought I'd be seeing more as I went out of more real innovative projects and I don't see many of them. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's there's been a handful of projects where you look at and think that that's quite good, that's quite useful, uh, but it's it's very very small and narrow. And again, it, it yeah. it's almost as as we've just been saying, every city is different. You can't judge what London's doing based on what uh, Dundee is doing, for example. That they're, they're very very different places. And what a lot of these projects aren't doing is looking at actual again the outcomes and what they're trying to achieve. So for a time being, smart was literally let's throw some sensors in and let's do some stuff and see almost see what happens. Uh, and it's almost why I, I really dislike parking apps, uh, the ones that tell you where an empty space is. 
and it's not actually because the yeah. parking app itself is bad it's because what they're talking about realistically is saying use this parking app because it cuts down emissions but then at no point have i seen a study that says this is actually how much the emissions will drop by this is how many people are using it this is how many people are driving into our city this is the time we believe we've mm. saved on those cars they're going to be interrupted by the cars that aren't using the app so you have to take that into account and therefore this is the change in emissions that we've seen in the air quality that means this will happen over time and actually so you're putting it in if, if you're going to sell me a parking system because it makes the air quality better then prove it and actually showcase yeah. how much better and what difference that means i actually read a report i can't remember when i read it, it was a couple of years ago and it was talking about improving air quality and it kind of said at the end of all this we'll add six months to someone's life you're like well don't bother then it, it, it's not it's not <laughs> worth it, it it's a huge investment <laughs> huge change to add six months to someone's life who's probably already living in a retirement home doesn't want to be there i mean that, yeah, that's yeah. a very cynical way of looking at it but is the improvement but you don't help you but you can't help yourself being cynical, can you i mean that that's that's a good point you bring up but it's a cynical way of looking at it I, i'd probably say that and speaking on, on behalf of yourself i'll probably say that we, we we do take a cynical approach i certainly do when i post up on linkedin or I talk it's it's often cynical and, and I sometimes annoyed at myself for being like that but to be honest with you as i just went before i've not really seen anything that's proved otherwise you know we, i won't name where we were but somebody presented a 25 minute uh, presentation on how they managed to reduce freedom of information requests within the council and i thought well if that's smart um I, I, show me you know i, I don't know yeah. what what a big project would look like and again that what really just made sure that they reduce some of their time in the local authority between a few people on an excel sheet so i don't i, I am cynical of it because as much as i'm running a smart cities campaign i actually don't think the cities are operating smartly and i think it's a, a, a terminology which doesn't really sit with sit well with me anymore um but from that perspective to go on to that slightly do you think that there has been a narrative that's been pushed from funders competitions other organizations and even big technology firms which is this is what a smart city can look like and let me sell you the dream yeah i think that's true of smart cities and digital i hate the word transformation but i'll use it digital transformation i think half of it is a marketing exercise and unfortunately again the, the whole smart city stuff started from a technology perspective it was implement this do this change this i went to the the smart city expo in barcelona last november and walked around yeah. for the day and, and i'm just looking at and i could only do a day i, I flew back the same night because there's nothing yeah, yeah there's, there's that, nothing yeah. there of, of anything that's producing outcomes it's great dubai have got some robots in a mall we don't need them that's just showing off that we can build some robots they're not really helping in any yeah. way shape or form uh, well in a way over in dubai they've just got more money well, exactly. they can they, demonstrate they can throw money at technology but really if, if you're coming back to being smart 
then you change the terminology slightly. So originally smart was about sensors that spoke to each other, didn't involve people in the process doing all these things. You don't need that. If you think about smart as we're doing something smart because it improves something, then it doesn't really matter about the technology. You're, you're making it a people uh, project. So instead of digital transformation, I talk about digital efficiency. I think it brings up a, a different kind of mindset. Transformation is that whole scale change across mm. a business or across a council. Efficiency is how do I make your job easier? How do I make you better at what you do? And you can look at it from a city perspective too. Go, how do we make the city more efficient? How do we get people around it better? How do we uh, make the hospitals more efficient, ins, ins and outs? And, and again, attack it from that angle of what's the problem in the city? Is it healthcare? Is it social? Is it jobs? Is it one of a number of things? They're the things we will t we will look at, and we'll look at how we can provide technology and solutions to enable that to for the outcomes to be achieved or to be accelerated. Uh, I know a couple of guys who run a, a company that sells smart benches, and I really like the guys. I quite like the product. It, it's a nice product, but what problem does it solve? It allows me mm. to charge my phone in a park. Brilliant. Well, charge it at home before you go out. You haven't fixed anything. I quite like it. I will give them this. I, I do like it when they're looking at uh, railway stations and platforms and things. You can sit while you're waiting for a train and charge it. That, that can, becomes quite useful. But so many councils yeah. just go, let's do that because it's a showpiece project and we'll put it there. And actually, uh, Peterborough won World Smartest City uh, back in 2015 or 2016 and it was that against Dubai and Los Angeles and Buenos Aires and all the major cities and Peterborough came out top and actually the reason we came out top wasn't to do with the technology side of it it was everything else they were looking at around the circular economy and how to improve the levels of waste within the city so a really good example yeah. we, we gave and we used to give the bags away was we, in Peterborough, there's a company called Master Roast Coffee. They get hundreds and hundreds of Hessian sacks of coffee delivered to them every week. Those Hessian sacks were going in the waste. We actually set a company or help set a company up next to it that takes those Hessian sacks and turns them into bags for life and then sells them. And, yeah. and it were simple projects like that, looking at different areas of the city. What are the individual problems? What can we do to change it? How can we bring some of those businesses together? How can we get them talking? If, if you're a manufacturer, and let's say you've got a really good set of uh, tools within your business, you've got all the latest drill bits, you've got 3D printers. If you only run nine to five, yeah. what problem is there with someone else using your tools five to 12? And in return, them giving you yeah. part of their service for free. So there's lots of things yeah. around yeah. smart and smart cities that have got nothing to do with technology. It's, it's about connecting people, talking, uh, thinking about where there's opportunities. Marmite's a great example. It's just a waste product, or it was originally a waste product uh, that's now turned into, into yeah. Marmite. And so there's lots of ways of thinking and looking at stuff that can be done differently. Well, that's, that's the kind of thing that I suppose, because I want to move on a, a bit onto coronavirus impact, in a minute but in a way i suppose that's kind of what we've seen with the ppe isn't it i mean we've seen pictures in papers on the tv and end of the news at 10 and 
some child and his mother's knitted together uh, some face masks or he's been given a 3D printer for Christmas and he finally knows how to use it and he's supplying the local nursing home and that. But that innovation is born out of demand. It's born out of a, of a necessity. It's born out of a, an issue or a pandemic, a, a problem. By looking at the problem, innovation and, and fat, smart thinking can flow. But as you touched on before, you know, we want to do autonomous vehicles in Coventry. To me, doesn't sound like it's a necessity. It sounds like it's just a vanity project. Yeah, it's, the technology is there. But, but why are they not moving? Away? Why do they not see that? Why do they not see that, though? That's what frustrates uh, well, me. Well, I mean, competition is one of it. You wouldn't, you'd be surprised how much competition there is between local authorities. Uh, they all talk about being cooperative and, and talking, but actually they all want to be seen as almost like the flagship council. Uh, lots of awards, everything like that is all set up to compete with councils. I know from past speaking to councils, you can't have a conversation between some of them on various bits without NDAs being signed or you being charged for your time. And actually they're not cooperating with each other as much as they should do. Some are, some are very good at it, but a lot are just in competition. And you kind of look at it and go, well, this makes no sense at all. So take all these guys, like you've mentioned, they're doing PPE, uh, they're just doing it off their own back. What's to stop that kind of approach being implemented across every issue in a city? So if you've got spare capacity, yeah. spare times, machines that are spare, uh, staff that can sometimes help out there's no reason why you can't can't do that and one of the biggest things that people can actually do is talk to each other uh, and I push this through my model that, that I coach and I push it through uh, when we're talking about having a people talk about having a digital culture I'm not really interested in that you'll get to that point but the first thing you have to do is have a communication culture and you have to have people speaking to each other about what are our problems, what can we do to help, and then having those people step up to the plate and, and do that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I think that to me, for it's a podcast for another day to talk about procurement, for instance. But the, the barriers to adoption of technology are, for me, systematically flawed. And the reason when we've been working along in life sciences, and other, we've not seen the rapid take of innovation in the NHS due to that fact and I, I, I think it is that it's the thinking and the sharing the collaborating if I go to Yorkshire with Leeds, Barnsley, Rotherham everything I'd expect Yorkshire to work together not them to work individually I mean driving from between two of these places and utilizing the same roads and stuff would lead me to believe that sharing uh, thought leadership and thinking and working collaboratively would be far better for the whole region rather than just individuals within each town or city but having spoken to local authorities i have to agree with what you just said the competition between each other and this secrecy um is prevalent it was very prevalent in scotland actually and i was surprised it was kind of have you invited them i'm not sure you should or can you tell us what they're speaking about um, and I, I found it quite, um, well, not sinister, but I found it quite strange that we were looking at a UK perspective, yet they were so individually worried and concerned. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of, uh, 
I've seen what you're doing, I like what you're doing, but I think I can do it differently or better and our procurement team work in a different way, so we'll do it this way. And the, the collaboration around yeah. anything is is so poor in a lot of cases. And yeah, but like you said, you, you've got regions, you've got cities, and I know there are some things they want to compete for. They want to compete for jobs and, and bringing people into those towns, but fundamentally in, in a lot of places the biggest issues are, are going to be health and social care and the only way you're going to fix that is not only for the regions to join up but the NHS to join up with the, the, the local authorities as well and an issue around that always comes back to budgets and how who gains the most from from either but you, you've got to kind of get over that and say what's the best for our city our region or the whole of the north. Actually, if, if Manchester, Liverpool, yeah. uh, Leeds, York, everyone like that work together properly, properly, then that would take over from the south. But it, it's seen as individual yeah. cities doing individual things, all competing in your own northern territory. So it's not really worried about down yeah. here. And actually, the no, they could be no. powerhouse up there totally if they good. all just joined up. Yeah, well, you see, there's another thing in too. We've got about the labels and stuff. The powerhouse. I mean, the the fact that the powerhouse was born out of a, a Tory government that give ten years of austerity makes me laugh. That they can now we're sort of having to run with this powerhouse as if it's you know we're, we're going to be a northern powerhouse. We're gonna we're gonna be able to do that. It, to me, it just feels like a a labouring label of, of just covering over the fact that there is no collaborative approach in the north and it's individual. Um, but moving on to just COVID-19, obviously we, we've sort of conversed and spoken over the last year or so, or maybe in, in terms of what smart cities are and we've, we've, we've explored different aspects through posts, articles and, and, and business and services we've conducted. But what we face with now, uh, and after, I'm going to have to use that awful word, unprecedented, is is something that, that we've never been able to sort of understand or, or discuss in the past because we never faced it. But from your perspective, what do you think this will do for cities and towns? Obviously, we're going to see a, a fundamental unemployment rate and there's going to be some stuff around budgets and, and money. But is there an opportunity amongst this to actually transform cities for the better? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to address uh, the unprecedented bit first, just because while I've been in lockdown, I've been watching the Tudors. Uh, which was a TV series from about, I can't remember, 10, 15 years ago or so. Uh, and they had the sweating sickness. Yeah. And in it, once someone got sick, they were isolated. They set themselves apart. It was it's around Henry VIII. He locked himself away in isolation. He sent the Queen away to be isolated in Ludlow Castle. He sent Anne Boleyn away to be isolated in Heber Castle with her family. They locked the doors and they shut everyone out and they kept a distance from everyone. So unprecedented in our time, yes, but it's happened 500 years ago and it's happened throughout those phases up until now. So actually we should be better prepared for yeah. things like this happening. Uh, it's not new. We've had big illnesses, big yeah. diseases. We've seen what's happened. 
everyone learns about the plague at school. Uh, we know how bad that was in, in those times. And actually, what I think needs to happen is we probably need to come out the back of this. And yes, some councils have done kind of really good work on getting some information up and some forms up. And yeah, we've, we've gone home and we've worked with Zoom and we use Teams. Haven't we done well on digital? No, you just use things you should have been using for five years. But <laughs> what they're going to need to do is get back into that, into work and then stop and take a pause and basically go, okay, we've yeah. done some stuff very, very quickly. We've thrown it out there. We have to do that. We've now got to sit down and work out what we think will happen over the next five years. And then you can start to think about those cities. So let's look at the news that we saw about Venice and how clean the water is and the fact that you can see the fish in the water and everything else. Venice now needs to sit down and go, okay, yeah. do we now limit the time that boats can come through the city? Do we limit how many boats are coming through the city? What's the impact of that going to be and how do we use what's happened as a, as a force for change. Uh, cities, we know uh, yeah. the, the, the pollution levels have dropped massively. There's no, there's much, much fewer cars or many fewer cars on the road. So again, how do we now take that forwards and say, okay, our, us as a council, us as a business, we also want to carry on that of having less cars. So we are gonna make our staff more remote. We're gonna allow them to work from home they don't have to work set hours or get rid of nine to five. Uh, I'm an advocate for actually getting rid of hours out of contracts completely and saying you don't work a 35 hour week, you work a week that's got a set of outcomes to be delivered. If you do them in 15 hours or 40 hours, that's fine. But you have to deliver these outcomes. Yeah. Uh, if I write you an IT strategy or digital strategy and I say it will be on your desk on the 15th of the month, how I get to the 15th of the month is irrelevant as long as I deliver it on that day. So I'm a bit of a night owl. I prefer kind of starting work at 11 in the morning, but I work through to late nine o'clock at night, sometimes through till three in the morning if I have to. Uh, and it, it's about thinking about flexibility and remoteness of staff. So it's really what we're trying to achieve here, isn't it? We're trying to we're trying to say what worked well in the sense that what improvements we welcomed, as you say, Venice, with their air pollution, uh, less cars on the road for causing that. Where we saw those benefits, which we'd always maybe dreamed about having or achieving, we need to be looking at how we can make that something which continues with or without yeah, and then even pandemic. Even on the softer side of it, how many people actually stepped up to help and it might just be as simple as I went and did the shopping mm. for my neighbour or uh, I went and spoke to my neighbour because I know they're isolated and lonely. They've been isolated and lonely for the last five years, but actually we, we ignore them as a society. And if you can get to that point where, even from a council perspective, a local authority, if you've got almost that army of volunteers who are willing to help you and to go out and do these things, life becomes much simpler for the council. Uh, I used to talk about simple things like grass cutting costs councils a fortune every year uh, and ultimately they, they start to get rid of yeah. sports pitches and playing fields and everything else. I think if you flip that and said to the dads of the football team or the mums of the football team, would you cut the football pitch before a game? 
and in return we will buy your your kids a football kit every year for 500 quid and the price of a couple of lawnmowers that pitch will be cut every Sunday morning and and, it, and it's little things yeah. like that of just thinking very differently around the problem and, and the solution it doesn't have to be right well we'll outsource it because we can get a 10% better deal through a major company it's residents want to live somewhere nice they want to yeah. live in nice cities with access to uh, services that they require decent level of hospital care they don't want to be isolated they want to be a community and actually we've we've eroded that over time and something like this pandemic i think can help almost shift the thinking back to right community first how do we all help each other how do we make where we live better I know of, uh, there used to be a place near Peterborough actually yeah. that I, don't, I can't remember the actual town or village, but they used to have a, a big grass uh, square in the middle of the of the middle of the town, and you used to be allowed to fly tip on it. So you could come in. There's a designated area, and you could drop everything in one area. What happened over the week was that the scrap collectors would come and take all the metal away. And then someone else would come and take some of the other bits away. <laughs> and actually the council would then come and collect it on a Friday, but they were collecting a fraction of what was dropped on the Monday. So again, <laughs> you and I know if, if you put your washing machine out yeah. in front of your flat, it's gone that night. There, there are people driving around looking for yeah. scrap and, looking yeah. for part, and they will take it away. Uh, and all this was, was saying, well, why don't we just put that into yeah. an organized solution? We will tell all the scrap merchants where it is. We'll tell them what they need to do. Drop it there. Come and collect it, and away you are. And, and it—it—it it, it sounds silly. Yeah, I'm laughing. I'm laughing just because they, to me also as well. It just excites me to hear such things because the, the the thought of just thinking like that and making yeah, actually, you're right. And when somebody like yourself just brings a, a, an example like that to your attention, you kind of yeah. think. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? it? It does. That does make sense. And, and, and you know, yeah, it's just, it feels like a revelation, but at the same time, it just feels like that makes yeah, sense. And I anyway. think a lot of it does. And, and they're just either worried about the perception or anything like that. I mean, again, perception, councils are so scared to make mistakes or to be seen to be making mistakes. I mean, yeah. I went to a couple of conferences in America when I worked at a council. And the lengths they went to to cover my ass for that trip was unreal. Uh, and I was go I was going to talk at a conference, and it might have cost a plane ticket and a and a hotel. I wasn't exactly in a glamorous hotel, as in uh, one of the worst areas of San Francisco you can be. But I went to a conference. Yeah. I learned more in that conference, being there for three days surrounded by business leaders and thought leaders and uh, hearing the likes of uh, Tim Cook speak and various others. I learned more in that three days than I probably learned in the entire year. But if, if they'd have spent the equivalent money on, uh, on e-learning or online training, no one would have batted an eyelid. But because it was America, it's, like, oh, yeah. it's a big thing. We need yeah. to make sure we're covered. If this comes out in the press, this will happen. It's like, well, just tell them why I went. I went to learn. Hey, I went to talk. I yeah. went to go and give them the Peterborough model, explain what we were doing, get some interest in the city. But B, I went to learn. 
and you can learn so yeah. much from going to these conferences but people are scared of putting the hand yeah. up and saying i would like to go to this the amazon conference in it's in las vegas every year it's an amazing conference there are thousands of sessions it, it's very technical so i wouldn't advise that one for business people but yeah you come away from that with more learning in a week than you've had in the last five years and yet fixation is it's las vegas yeah. you're going i was in a hotel from six in the morning till about nine o'clock at night in a basement in a room listening to people talk about technology <laughs> which, which bit of las vegas do you think i enjoy <laughs> Yeah. Whereas the council think it's Ocean's Eleven. And we we flew out on Sunday. And I remember I was was with a couple of guys I used to work with in a private company. And we flew out on the Sunday. We got there late Sunday night. On the Thursday, we stood in the the foyer of the hotel. And one of them actually said, uh, do you realise we haven't been outside yet? And I was like, what are you on about? We haven't left the hotel since we got here. And we hadn't. We hadn't seen daylight. And we actually went and stood in the car park yeah. of the hotel for half an hour to get some sunlight before we went back to the conference. Yeah. And again, just learning not yeah. and it's that yeah. it's going back to that kind of communication and sharing and talking to people. You're meeting people at these conferences from across the world. And you can have those face to face conversations. What are you guys doing? What are you working on? Why are you attacking it that way? We talk about our health and social care issues, but let's go to Malaysia and see what they're trying to do and how they're trying to achieve the same response. And let's start some of those uh, communication channels going globally. We're we're all... Yeah. You're right, though, about the online thing. If you've done an e-learning thing, it's like, right, we've got an e-learning thing here, let's go for it. But if you go and say, we're going to go travel to here, then it's immediately dispersions are cast even though that e-learning thing will probably sit on the intranet of a local authority yeah, for a you year need to and, it it and you can take it. the test as many times as you yeah. want at the end and you need 60 percent to pass like half the time you can do that without even reading the, <laughs> the course material and and it, it's there's so much to learn yeah. and this is again something i bring back to the ceo side of it is in the book that i've written it, it it's pushing ceos and senior managers to actually go to it conferences I've been so many, and to be honest, yeah. it, it's 99% male to start with, and then it's probably about 60% over yeah. 50s that are there. That's that's the local government yeah. IT yeah. conference. Yeah. That would that would that be a local yeah, government right. representation and, and at any of our events? And so it's the I same people to, talking. Yeah. I came off the conference circuit because I think people had heard me enough. I'd done pretty much every conference you could think of. And you're kind of going, right, I'll step aside. And who's the next person now to come in and say, well, either we've seen what you've done and we've changed it, we've adapted it, we've done it this way. And you didn't get that. And part of the problem is IT people in general, go back to uh, the IT crowd. A lot of IT people aren't prepared to stand up and talk anyway. Then there's a nervousness about, are we doing it right? Then there's a nervousness about, will I get into trouble with my council if they see this or if I say something wrong uh, and we've both said this as well Scott the amount of local authority people who get involved in conversations on LinkedIn is zero unless their post unless the post is oh, yeah. my council have done this you can't engage a local authority person in your in your comments no that's that, that that's a very good point actually it's something that 
it's something which you know is is a podcast in itself alone because it's like I made a comment uh, the other day in relation to organisations' approach to social media. I know this is slightly moving away from smart cities, but it was this kind of well, let's put the advert up of our piece of kit or our particular service and say, look at our service, click here. And there was no kind of understanding about what that service was trying to do. Um, what, what, why would you want me to click here? What, what uses it to me? And we, we kind of got that culture's been embraced, whether it's online or offline, of kind of, look what we did, this is what we did, without a bit what you touched on earlier. Well, why did you do it? And where's the evidence to say it worked? Everything seems to be just related to, we'll tell you what we did, because that will that will be enough for you to, to understand. And, and you're right, they don't engage in things on LinkedIn. And, and I think that maybe in some cases, is what goes back to what you said about the the Las Vegas um, uh, analogy mm. is that they're, they're afraid to do that. They're, they don't want to be seen or they're worried about what they may say may cause their problems with their career or yeah, there's, there's within the council. Yeah, really. uh, old school hierarchical kind of setups to them. Uh, I, mean, I won't go into detail of, of my yeah. time, but I fell out with my director loads of times. Uh, and it was generally because I'd spoken to someone above him quite often. I used to meet with counsellors for lunch once a week to talk to them about digital. Obviously, I'd embed some ideas in their brains that they might want to come back with. Uh, and and it, we did, we, we felt, but it, you had just two guys both trying to achieve something and both trying to do it in their own way. And we, we butted heads occasionally. We actually got on pretty well out, around, outside of it. But there is just that. I'll talk to my manager, my manager will talk to that manager, that manager will talk to that manager. You only need one person in that chain to say no, and it yeah. and whatever you're working on disappears. Yeah. And I think also it's worth saying at this point though as well, and I think you probably agree with me as well, Richard, that this isn't, um, this isn't just um, uh, within local authorities. I think this exists within private sectors as well. I don't think it's just a... A local government, local authority. I'll speak to my manager. I speak to my manager. I've spoke to a lot of private organisations who work within smart cities, and uh, you know, you, you're looking at a, an eight or nine person, um, well, eight or nine person leading up to to the decision maker within the organisation. I think, I think that culture exists on both sides, um, but ultimately, with their local authority being in charge of the actual project or within responsibility for the uh, impact it'll have on its its residents ultimately they're they're left uh, holding the camp and to sort it out but yeah I, I find it I find it difficult to understand why they can't but then again that culture is quite evident across this country um, and something we've probably seen played out over the last three months with PPE um, and the culture of being able to Say something's wrong has, has often not been uh, not been received well. Yeah, by and I think a lot of it. I mean, people, really. bang on about communication, but a lot of it is that people can't accept being told that they're doing something wrong, or that there's a better way of doing something. Uh, mm. And and you get it all. Even tiny things. I mean, yeah. if I sit and watch my partner on a laptop, I lean over and say, "You can do it differently, uh, and do it quicker," and you you get looked at with with devil eyes. Uh, 
but it but it is that kind of thing of we don't <laughs> really teach people how to communicate or talk to each other properly we think it's just natural it's easy it's straightforward but sitting yeah. down with someone and saying Do you know what you're doing is completely wrong is quite difficult for some people uh, and it's difficult yeah. then no, for the person to accept it so you end up in a culture of almost it's, it's conversation to uh, kind of reply as opposed to to understand learn and develop and yeah they all talk about 360 feedback and all this other stuff but 90% of the time you write what you want to write because you don't want to cause a problem or you don't want to get into conflict with anyone uh, and really a lot of places just need to go in and teach communication skills and get people having these conversations there's a really good book uh, I'm gonna forget what it's called it's about Pixar uh, and I'd have to look it up and, and send you oh, a link right. to it but it talks about how they make their movies and you basically go away you make the movie it gets presented into a into a room of people those people can suggest what's wrong with the film they can't suggest how you fix it they can just say that character doesn't work or that bit doesn't work that scene doesn't work and then they stop and then the people who are making the film go away think right what do we need to change why doesn't it work they figure it out they come back and they present what they've done and if you look at some of the early Pixar films the, the early sort of storyboards characters have changed people have been dropped characters have changed sex all sorts of things have happened and it's because they've created this yeah. uh, community where I can be critical about what you've done I'm not going to suggest answers or how you fix it or anything else I'm just going to say this doesn't work and the person who has done the piece of work just goes okay thanks I will look into why it doesn't do that and, and it's a completely different way of thinking about things yeah yeah totally it's yeah totally one last thing I wanted to uh, do I'm going to be doing this on every podcast podcast is I want to ask you um if there was one thing you would like to see from your local authority uh, deliver, whether it's economic, societal driven, waste, energy, transport uh, related, what's the one thing that you would like to see happen in this next oh, 12, 13 months? <laughs> And there it is. That's what the point is. Kind of, we all. I, I would like to fix, fix the whole thing. I think. I think there's so many different things we could look at to do and do better. And there's a lot of things that they do and they do quite well. But what? What is the one thing you'd like to see, which you know affects you or your family? Yes, I think. You feel will bring the uh, benefit. I mean, it's difficult. I moved to Brighton a year ago, so I wouldn't exactly call myself uh, in depth in knowledge of, of what happens, but. I know that Brighton as a as a as a place to visit appears dirty and run down. Uh, the amount of drug use in the streets is is massive, homelessness is huge, alcoholism is huge. You come out of the station and you're just met. The first street you walk down is disgusting. It's a horrible street. And they don't seem to be doing anything about cleaning that up. And there's lots of people who need lots of help to change their lives uh, and need support around that. So I think really, yeah, looking at 
it logically Brighton could be an incredible place and it could be a really nice place to live and and parts of it are but your initial impression when you first get here is almost of a dirty run-down drug-riddled place you see you can walk down the street at one o'clock in the afternoon and there'll be someone having a wee in a doorway that's common to see that Uh, and it is about kind of going to the root of the problem again it's not just kick take someone homeless off the street and put them in a house it's everything that happens around that uh it's it's housing quality it's jobs it's it's the actual environment so i think there just needs to be a bit more of a city plan of how do we create that employment here we obviously know a lot of people in brighton as well were employed in the airline industry they travel up to gatwick or heathrow that's going to have a huge impact on the on the place i've not seen anything come out from any of the councils or or mps around that uh and so they need to stop worrying too much about technology and smart city and and anything like that and actually get into kind of that what is brighton what do we want it to be where do we see the city in the next 20 years and start to look at that long-term future and then how you how you build to that and part of that is bringing all the departments together i mean I talk a bit about uh, in the book about if you look at Uber as an app, Uber is made up of about five or six different components from different companies. Each component is a standalone, almost world leading component. They use Twilio for communications, they use Amazon for infrastructure, Google Maps for obviously the mapping and various other bits. And you go, okay, so what they've done is taken the best of breed, brought them together and made it much better. I liken it to Leicester City because I'm a Leicester boy originally. Uh, we took a, a team of uh, journeymen, we put them together, we won the league. The, the sum of the parts was was better. So again, coming back to your point of breaking down those silos, yeah. we don't see those multidisciplinary teams across the council working across projects. And one of the, the smart city things I bid for, I think when Manchester won the money, uh, was looking at how we look at education and schooling and say look we could have someone who's failing at school and it could be down to their homework or something like that they're not they're not completing the homework the attainment rates are dropping and what we do is we we focus on the education piece actually it could be because they live in a crap house that's damp it's dark they've got four brothers and sisters it's only a three-bed property they haven't got the time or the space to do their homework properly but yet we're comparing them to the single child who lives on a nice estate, nice house, who's got a light bedroom, he's got his own computer, he's got all these things. And we're saying, well, you're cleverer than him. It's like, you're not, you're just in a better environment than him. And the way to fix that isn't through the education system. The way to fix that is through the housing system. But people aren't looking at that. And I think that for me to see a local authority or a council and particularly Brighton to go, okay, we've got these problems but we're going to take a step back and see what the underlying issues are. Our housing's crap. It's all flats. It's all conversions. They're too expensive. Uh, people can't afford to live in the nice bits. People can't afford to live where they want. Uh, it is a massive problem and, and one that you just need to attack from completely different angles and almost ask yourself the five whys going back to that. Let's try and not fix an issue that's actually the problem is somewhere else. 
So just seeing that happen and that conversation between the council and the citizens and and everything really happen, I think would would not just help here. I think it would help everywhere. Yeah. Finally, Richard, just before we go, um, the book. Can it be? What's it entitled? Uh, it can it be downloaded so from Amazon? The, the conversations with the publisher are progressing. The manuscript is done. We're just now in the, the kind of the final edit and obviously doing book covers and various other bits that you have to do before publishing. But yeah, it's it's a look at my methodology for delivering digital. It's aimed at kind of CEOs and, and chief and uh, senior managers. It's the the flip of instead of getting the the IT involved in the business, it's it's how do we get the business involved in IT? Uh, it takes them through a five step model of discuss, discover, decide, design and deliver steps within each and it kind of explains what the issues have been, what the method is and then what the outcomes of, of that will be and how you can take your business forward or your, your council forward. And it's just a different way of looking at things and thinking about the issues and the problems you've got. So yeah, hopefully next next month or so, next six weeks, that will be formally launched. Brilliant. Well, when we when it is, we will uh, obviously share it with our audience and members. Uh, Richard Godfrey, thank you very much for your time today. And uh, oh, thanks for having me, Scott. Thank I'll you. Uh, speak to you soon. Cheers. Thank you. No worries.